From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. You are a perfectionist? Yes. This is Catherine, and she says that perfectionism is vastly misunderstood. Yeah, it has been a struggle, and it's also been a gift. So, okay, time for a more full introduction instead of just, are you a perfectionist? (laughs) Though I think that that kind of identifying, self-identifying is very appropriate for this conversation. So Catherine is Catherine Morgan Schaffler. She is a psychotherapist, an author, speaker. Her new book, which is fantastic, is called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. And she says, this is an important subject for anyone who has ever identified with and particularly been ashamed of perfectionism. I orbited perfectionism so much in my professional life and in my personal world. And I didn't have the language that I needed to be able to understand the patterns that I was noticing within myself and others. And that's the gift of a book is it's just this containment space where you can put everything you know about it in one spot. And that's what I wanted to offer myself to just have a place to revisit some of this stuff and organize it and others. And you know, what's funny is that I don't really identify with the word or the concept of a perfectionist, but also literally right after Catherine introduced herself and explained the book. So the reason I originally wanted to talk to Catherine was because when I first heard about her book and then looked into her work more, I thought, here is someone who can speak to a conversation that happens so often in entrepreneurship, which is around the problem of perfectionism. We talk about perfectionism as a thing that holds people back from creating, from putting things into the world. Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, has this line that I like a lot. I've used it many times. What he says is that if you aren't embarrassed by your first product launch, then you launched too late. The idea being that Reid is trying to push people to stop trying to be perfectionists, at least as we understand perfectionists, about the thing that they're making and just get it out there. Get something imperfect out into the world because that's how you're going to learn. The value is in being able to tolerate imperfection so that you learn enough that you create something that never will reach perfection, but at least will reach better. And I wanted to put that to Catherine, who has spent so much time understanding this subject in great depth. And to see how she thinks entrepreneurs should grapple with this and utilize to the degree that they feel it or have identified it in themselves, this instinct. And she began when I put all this to her by saying, look, the first thing to know is that perfectionism isn't one thing. So I think being able to understand perfectionism as a kaleidoscopic construct, right? So We think of perfectionists as not executing until they feel that it's perfect, which never happens. And so there's a paralysis in our mind attached with this idea. And we also think of perfectionists as extremely rigid, as not collaborative, as perhaps highly dependable or high functioning in certain ways. My book 
discusses the myriad of ways that perfectionism both manifests. There's also, for example, interpersonal aspects of perfectionism where you want your ideal focused around ideal connections, right? I want this person to feel that I am the best boss, or I want my consumer to be in love with the product all the time, or I want to be perfectly liked is the most simplistic way to put it. I think with a lot of people on teams, it's like, I want to perfectly like others. And that's just one of the five types of perfectionists that I lay out in the book to just really say almost everything we think we know about perfectionism is if not wrong, I would say wildly incomplete. And being able to understand this as a multidimensional construct, which presents itself in so many different ways, even people who don't think, well, I'm a perfectionist. I never thought I was a perfectionist until I started noticing these patterns in my work. And it's kind of startling when you take a 360 look at perfectionism to see how much it touches every aspect of people's lives, not just professionally, but personally in so many ways. So to answer your question, I would say that perfectionists need to think outside the box and throw the box away. We need an entirely new way of looking at this construct. And when you look at the construct in a new way, you have to understand that perfectionist is an enduring identity marker, which means people who relate to that identity tend to relate to it their entire lifetime. That's evident in the research. It's also been shown in my work. And so trying to eradicate yourself of that identity and not be a perfectionist, which is what a lot of the self-help, self-development advice suggests. It's like, just don't sweat the small stuff. Just lower your expectations. That doesn't work. It's ineffective. And the reason it's ineffective is because the identity runs deeper. It's like thinking of yourself as a romantic or an activist. You can't tell a romantic just believe in love like 25% less of the time. That doesn't work, right? We don't experience perfectionism episodically. It's a much more visceral part of who we are. So if you attach all of this negative identity to perfectionist, then you're fortifying a self-destructive narrative about who you are and how you're built to struggle. So, okay, what do we do next? That's what's coming up after the break. What's better than finding quality candidates? Finding them instantly for a powerful hiring tool you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills. You can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, well, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have requirements. Visit indeed.com slash problem solvers to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash problem solvers. Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now I want to tell you about this episode's other great sponsor. Cyber criminals, surveillance, malware, 
you just want to run your business and do a good job for your customers. And this is what you have to deal with. It is frustrating, but there is a solution. It is NordLocker. Secure and control your business data in an end-to-end encrypted cloud with NordLocker. You can see and manage the organization's data via your admin portal, and your business data stays protected from data leaks, ransomware, and theft. With NordLocker for Business, you can manage members in the organization. You can set up roles to make sure that data is only accessible to the right people, check and manage your license limit and the number of currently active users, access business settings and control file sharing outside of your organization, and recover your account. See NordLocker Business in action now with a three-month free trial by visiting nordlocker.com slash creators with the code problem solvers. Again, that's Nord, N-O-R-D, locker slash creators and use the code problem solvers. All right, we're back. I'm talking with Catherine Morgan Schaffler, author of the new book. Great new book. You should totally check it out. The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. And just before the break, Catherine laid out this more complex understanding of perfectionism and how it is a spectrum. It can also be a great gift and a great strength. And so I said to her, well, okay, Catherine, then help people who might feel stuck between two worlds bridge these worlds, because you may have what we would call traditional perfectionist tendencies. And then if you're an entrepreneur, you are existing in a world that is designed to move fast, that celebrates failure and trying new things that aren't going to work that well for the purposes of learning from it. And anyway, I think that a lot of people feel it's not that they're trying to be perfect about everything, but that they just don't know how to live in the space between those two realities. And here's what she said. I think being able to separate your identity from your behaviors is one first step. So if you Think about this in a binary way and say like a perfectionist is someone who waits too long and then they can't execute on their product because they're waiting for it to be perfect. That's enmeshing the identity with the decision that that person makes within the identity. Perfectionists can still be perfectionists and still make the choice to send something out in the world that is imperfect. And so being able to just find some freedom and liberation and that this identity, it's not your identity as a perfectionist, which dictates who you are in terms of everything you choose. Those choices are yours to make. Perfectionism is not your problem. Like some of the most joyful, contributive, like incredible people in society are perfectionists. The problem is that you're responding to your perfectionism with punishment and fear. And when you respond with punishment and fear, what you're doing is allowing the negative aspects of your perfectionism to eclipse everything and inform everything that you do. It's like being in love with somebody or being in a relationship. That doesn't mean that you then respond to everything you want to do in that relationship. You want to be with them all the time. You want to tell them all of these things. You want to quit your job and just kind of be impractical or whatever. You can feel intense feelings and still make the choice to lead your life in a certain way. One doesn't have to run the show. And perfectionism is maladaptive and negative when you allow it to dictate your choices and when you don't disrupt perfectionistic thinking and perfectionistic 
interpersonal dynamics with another narrative. And I'm using the word disrupt very deliberately there because I think what a lot of people try to do is to get one way of thinking to dominate over the other. And then that's being healthy. And what I'm suggesting is that two modes of thinking can operate at the same time. And the point is not to get one to dominate over the other. The point is for you to remain open enough to understand that you have choice. And here you're also teeing up, well, I mean, you said it directly, but I want you to unpack it more that there's real value that can be recognized in being a perfectionist. And that if you are not punishing yourself for these instincts, then you can utilize them. Talk to me more about that and how people might start to not just embrace that they are a perfectionist, but also make use of it. Yeah. I mean, I love the energy of the perfectionist. I think it's a real power. And the power of perfectionism is, in my view, like any other power, it's dichotomous in nature. It can be constructive or deconstructive. And to me, a perfectionist is someone who can recognize the reality plunked down in their laps and can imagine this ideal or perhaps multiple ideals and who has a kind of compulsive drive within them to try to bridge the gap. And that's the difference between a perfectionist and an idealist. An idealist can like imagine a world in which things function better, but they don't feel that like drive that I I have to do this, which entrepreneurs just have in spades and I love. And a high achiever can achieve a lot and then decide, you know what? After having a really industrious career or whatever, I'm going to call it and I'm going to go sit on a beach really young, 55 and just chill. Perfectionists cannot do that. That would be just a horrible existence for a perfectionist because, and I think so many entrepreneurs are, are perfectionists because it's like the drive in you is not to make things perfect. It's to run towards an ideal in which things are better. And perfectionists want wholeness. They don't want flawlessness. And that's how I think of perfectionism. If I don't know if you want to go this deep or broad, but when perfectionism first presented in psychological literature, it was presented by someone named Dr. Alfred Adler, who was actually Freud's greatest rival. And Adler said, perfectionism is a natural, healthy, innate human characteristic. And it is in all of us. He called it the eternal melody we all hear because our world is broken in so many ways. Our systems are broken and there are better ways of doing things. And that cognitive capacity that is unique to the human species of being able to imagine those better ways, and that some people can imagine those better ways, they can't let go of them. They have to chase them. Like That's what perfectionism is. And he said, basically, that if we lived in a world in which everyone was clean, clothed, fed, free, and loved, then no perfectionism would exist. And so he saw it as a force that creates contribution and that it's something that's so wonderful. And of course, anything can be expressed maladaptively. Love can be toxic and abusive. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. So interesting. Well, I am totally a sucker for history and origins of things. So now you've just made me curious and then I'll circle back to an entrepreneur question. But Well, don't ask me about Adler because I'll talk about him for about an hour and 50 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll circle back to you when I launch a podcast specific to Adler. What was the original sin then here? If, If the first appearances of perfectionism in the literature were actually seeing benefit in perfectionism, 
When did we come to see it as a negative? Well, so here's the thing. Adler was a hardcore socialist. And Freud also at the time, we're going back to, let's say, 1902, Freud and Adler on equal levels. Adler could have just as easily been the figurehead of psychology that Freud is. But Freud at this point had been trying so hard. He was basically an entrepreneur, had been trying so hard to find the unicorn thing. He was at the Silicon Valley of the time, which was the University of Vienna, where all of these people were coming up with, it was like the wild, wild west in mental health then, right? So Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, these are all coined within this one decade of great importance. And the thing that Freud believed is that human beings are bad inside and that we're all basically animals with manners and that we spend all of our psychic energy trying to repress sexual and anger urges and that we're only behaving because people are watching. And he was not a socialist. And he had thought that cocaine would be the wonder drug and that he was going to, he invested in all of this stuff with his best friend and he just missed that train. And so he has six kids at this point. He's in his mid forties, which was like super, super old back then. And he's desperate. And Adler and him are both rising at the same time. And so he just annihilates Adler in this way that is out of the scope of this conversation, but was brutal. And Adler believed that we are all good inside and that if he, he framed all neuroses as an absence of connection. And so of course, perfectionism is good because if left to our own devices, we're all going to take care of each other. And that's what that drive is for. Freud didn't really care about perfectionism. He cared about the unconscious mind and sex, which is why that dominated the landscape for so long. And then in the 50s, this psychiatrist named Dr. Karen Horney conflated narcissism with perfectionism because narcissists do have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. So that kind of got conflated in the literature. And then in the 90s, basically positive psychology begins. And that's when we start to get researchers saying, wait a minute, there isn't just one type of perfectionism. This is a multidimensional construct. And ever since I would say the early 90s, when two sets of researchers identified that perfectionism is multidimensional, we've kind of been slow climbing into this less binary, less polarized vision, but it's, it's been like a crawl. I am now going to resist talking to you about Adler for the next two hours because that actually was very interesting. And also fascinating that I assume you are fascinated with Adler because you probably agree with him more. I'm obsessed with him. I'm looking at seven Adler books on my desk right now. (laughs) I'm obsessed. I fell into a month of, of loss of not writing the book because I was just reading letters at the Library of Congress about Adler. That's amazing. It's so interesting because I don't know anything about Adler, but I'm just basing my reaction here off of the very small amount of information I now have of him because of what you just said over the last few minutes, which is to say that I would generally agree with him that people are at their core good. But the funny thing is that I think that people also at their core assume that other people are bad, which is the reason why Freud's vision was more marketable. And it's the same reason that I think we tend to always believe that we are as a society in decline, even though every indication is that we are actually on a steady path of improvement as Steven Pinker charts very well. But anyway, that is probably a conversation for us another time because this isn't going to be a two hour podcast about Adler. Well, let me just so, say one yes. thing. Ad, you, you do know Adler because he's the guy who coined 
the term inferiority complex. Oh. And so what he knew in real time that that term was getting mistaken, and he believes that all of us have an inferiority complex and that perfectionism is the opposite to the inferiority complex of basically like a compensatory measure for it Mm -hmm. because we don't feel connected to each other at all times. Hmm. And in the moments where we're kind of fragmented or broken away, we feel inferior and we are vulnerable to trying to fast track connection through what would now be called maladaptive perfectionist tendencies. And now watch me pivot from maladaptive perfectionist tendencies to Blake Lively. Okay, here it is. This is the (laughs) final thing I'm going to ask you, which is, so the, the reason I'm doing this is because Blake Lively is on the cover of Entrepreneur as we talk in the January issue. And a lot of the story actually orients around her perfectionist instincts, which she used to be very ashamed of and has learned to embrace and to see value in. And she credits the success of this non-alcoholic mixer brand that she has called Betty Buzz, which is doing incredibly well, to that, that she spent like years and years working on this product and she's meticulous about every part of it. And anyway, there's an ad that they ran for it, which is very funny. And it's got this kind of beefcakey guy talking about how meticulous the creation of this product was. And, and then he starts talking about Blake and it, it zooms out and Blake is like holding the boom microphone above him and giving him directions as he's filming this. So right, anyway, it's funny. So reading from the magazine here, it says the ad makes her proud. And then there's this quote from her. It's an interesting thing to claim as a woman being detailed and being precise because that can be weaponized against you as being difficult. And if someone makes you feel something often enough, you start to believe it's true and you start to squash those things in yourself and you start to see them as something that you don't want to bring to the surface. And it's taken me 35 years to see that, like, that's actually a huge asset, how detailed I am and how precise I am and how much I care about quality. And it's not something that I should apologize for. Just Mm. wondering your reaction to that. Um, my reaction is I'll be reaching out to Blake Lively, <laughs> but also, yeah, I'm perfectionist is a highly gendered term. I have an entire chapter, chapter three, dedicated to the way in which we're subtly using perfectionist in the same way that bossy has been used to regulate authoritative and power seeking in girls and women. And the perfectionists that we allow in culture who are female we only allow them to dominate in archetypal homemaker interests. Well, so when you think about Martha Stewart, you don't think about the fact that before she started Martha Stewart Omnipedia, she was a stockbroker on Wall Street. You think about Martha Stewart Living, which is about paint palettes that pop and weddings and how to throw brunch in a pinch. And same with Marie Kondo. She's allowed to be meticulous because it's about tidying up. I happen to be a huge fan of Marie Kondo and her work is about so much more than tidying up, but you get what I'm saying? These are domestic mm-hmm. areas in which we are not in competitions with men for. So when you think about Serena Williams or on a wind tour, these other women who may not be maternal in their leadership or who may not smile all the time and be palatable and pleasant, there's so much punishment attached to that. And that was this whole other thing I uncovered. I used to have a practice on Wall Street. So working with women in big law and finance and just seeing the penalty of what it means to be overt when you express power as a woman, you're experienced as power hungry, whereas men are experienced as alpha males. And it's a really like old, boring narrative that I wish I didn't have to keep bringing up because it feels like, weren't we talking about this like 20 years ago? Aren't we past this? 
but no, we're not. And we have to keep ringing this bell. And I think awareness in itself, just saturating our culture and our spaces with awareness is curative in itself. Mm. Catherine, this has been really insightful and I imagine very helpful for people who have struggled with this. And my only regret is that we don't have two hours to talk about Adler, but perhaps another time. Uh, I mean, and the five types of perfectionists and the five kinds of perfectionism and all the different ways you can ask for help. If I could add one thing, I think something that entrepreneurs could really benefit from is being able to understand that there are different ways to ask for and offer help. I spell out six in the book, but there are so many more than that. And sometimes people need like informational support and sometimes people need emotional support. Sometimes people need community support or financial support. And just being able to even have that framework of saying as an entrepreneur to your team or to yourself, here's a bunch of different kinds of help. Which one do you need the most of right now? Or even asking yourself that you're going to get so much more connectivity and you're going to move through so much more than if you just tell people these blanket statements of, hey, I'm around if you need help. Don't be afraid to reach out. The entrepreneurship is such a potentially isolating avenue to be in. Because even when you're working with a team, there's so much happening that you each have to be responsible for making decisions on the fly and just doing the best you can with limited resources. And everybody needs help, but entrepreneurs like need help all the time. And one way to not feel overwhelmed is to just start to organize in your mind the buckets of help you need. So you're like, oh, I'm not completely lost. I just need informational help about how to file this license for this thing. That's what I most need. And that kind of creates a little more ease around achieving whatever you want to achieve. Amazing. Catherine, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. But guess what? If you wanted more from Catherine, then you're in luck because that is not actually all I have from Catherine. It is all I have this week. But after we uh, stopped recording with that conversation, we just started talking about how important this subject is for entrepreneurs. And she started introducing me to concepts that she writes about, like the three components of self-compassion and how self-compassion is different from self-care and also how to reframe productivity. And I eventually I was like, okay, you know what? Let's just find another time and we're going to record another conversation for the podcast. We're going to do two, which I think is the first time I've ever done that on the show. And so next week, more with Catherine. But in the meantime, you can get her book, The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.